Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome to Purpose Driven Sobriety. Thank you for joining the Purpose Driven Sobriety Podcast. My name is Christine and I'm an alcoholic. Um, Today, um, as usual, we share our experience, strength, and hope with each other so that we can reach that person who is still suffering from the disease of addiction. And and I've recently been doing, I've got Jason on the show today and, and I'll introduce Jason in just a second, but uh, I'm, I'm doing a, I don't, dude, I don't know if you have done or heard of Bob D and Scott L, their step study, man, it, I mean, it's from 2005. Someone gave me the, the CDs and of course we still call them speaker tapes, you know, but uh, someone gave me the CDs and it, I'll tell you what, in my going on 12 years at this gig, it's the best thing I've ever heard. It's so amazing. And so I was listening to it on the way down to here to the studio, and I'm just so pumped of, you know, the steps and how we can share our experience with other people that are stuck in addiction, whether it be, and, you know, hopefully, you know, once you get into recovery, you'll come to see that whether, whatever it is in addiction, the results are typically the same in unmanageable life. So the steps um, can, can help with, with alcohol, drugs, sex, rock and roll, you know, food, all the things. So, <laughs> so anyway, so Jason is on the show today, and um, I met Jason through a recovery page on Facebook. And, you, you know, it's, it's just, I, I got to tell you, Jason, I love this life. I just love it. I, 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 I'm the gratitude in me right now is just oozing out of my pores. You know, um, the fact that we have a community like we do is just fucking amazing. I'm sorry, but it just is so amazing because, you know, I say that because all I've got to do just through words, which I think in person is where it's at, but just through words and sharing, we recognize each other. And I just love it. And so I loved um, things that you have said. I love how you recover out loud. Um, you know, practice anonymity if you choose. That's God bless you. But for me, and from what I've learned about my friend Jason, is we are um, we are frontline, ready to go back into hell to grab some of God's kids and make a run for it. You know, um, and so I just got chills. Ooh, look at those duck bumps. Mm. Um, you know, so so Jason also does a, a, a podcast, an amazing podcast uh, called The Way Out. And if you if you're on my Facebook page, I, I linked it just this morning, and I'm going to continue because what I've learned, Jason, and I know I haven't given you an, a word in edgewise, but bear with me. Um, what I have learned is this um, <laughs> this this sometimes okay can be a little a little fussiness. A little, um, a little uh, cutthroat almost. Um, you know, it, I, I, so I don't participate in that. Wherever you can find um, serenity, peace, hope, dude, man, share it. And, and whether it's your, your podcast, my podcast, a book I read, a t- whatever it is, we just have to keep pouring, trying to pour it out into other people. So 
Um, Jason has the Way Out podcast. Find it anywhere you get and consume your podcast. Um, all you got to do is Google, and all the options are going to pop up, and you just pick which one fits you good. So, Jason, I thank you so much for taking the time today to talk to me. You are amazing. This is his only day off this week, and so I've got him sitting in his truck right now trying to trying to talk to me about recovery for, for an hour. So I'm so grateful you're here, Jason. Um, what, what I want to hear from you is, is, you know, what it was like, what happened and what it's like now. And then I want you to tell me all about your podcast. Okay. Well, thanks for having me. (laughs) I'm, I'm always grateful to be given the opportunity to share. And I just love meeting new people, Christine. So yeah, I ran across an ad for your show. And I don't know why, but I felt led to send you a message. And then this all happened, you know? I I uh, at, got you added to that uh, Recovery Revolution Podcast Network, which is a free resource. It's a website. It's uh, actually linked through the Recovery Revolution website. So that's recovery slash revolution dot O-R-G. And then if you go on there and you click on the podcast link, that's the page for the Recovery Revolution Thank you Podcast so Network. Much. But it's a newly Thank formed. Thank you so much for that. It yeah, means the it's world a, to me. It's, it's a newly formed, newly formed partnership. And our whole thing is exactly kind of like to counter that culture that's going on in advocacy. Because advocates, RCOs, even... You know, the recovery community organizations across the country and in various states, there, there's so much competition. People are scratching it. Well, Shame you know, it's, if the government would shell out, if the government would pay more money for these grants and things to help people uh, make resources more readily available yeah. to the community, then this wouldn't be going on. But you got a lot of people biting and clawing trying to get their hands on state their cash money or, insurance or money to get their, all the yeah it's gross yeah. it's gross right well and then i think with the podcasting and some people are trying to you know i always say well i should say my counterpart on the way out charles he this is kind of his line but i i use it often he says we're not trying to get famous in an anonymous right. program here you know we're trying to give back and provide Service. a good mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, source of hope and and with practical tips tools easy to access resources you know we're trying to like you said amplify recovery voices and share as many resources with the community worldwide you know like it's crazy when you look at the analytics on your podcast and you start seeing more and more countries pop Mm -hmm. up it's like what but yeah, so it's a blessing, and I'm glad I did answer that call and reach out to you because you're super down to earth and fun you. to talk to, Christine. Thanks. I well, really enjoy it. And just like you've so explained, far. Jason, in our world, in 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 you know, I I practice the twelve step program, and and I know I know you do as well. It's called service work. 
you know, and service work can be decorated in any, you know, that can come from making coffee at a meeting to standing on a street corner talking to another, you know, homeless addict about or doing a podcast. That service work can, you know, I don't, I don't know that Bill W., you know, had the, I think he did have the forethought because he, he actually talked about going into emotional sobriety and all the things that are just now starting to get real popular, you know. Um, so, yeah, our service work can have, have many right. different shades of color, but the, but the motivation Right. And the primary purpose is what's important. And I know that you you stand on those grounds and I, I just love you for it. So please go ahead. Amen. Amen. Yeah, no, totally. I, I'm all about networking, growing that network, uh, you know, helping lift each other up and and help each other be seen by a larger, mm-hmm. you know, audience, a.k.a. those right. that are still suffering. Right. Uh, but anyway, uh, I digress. So yeah, my name is Jason Rudin. I'm a person in long-term recovery. And what that means for me is I haven't felt the need to touch a drink or a drug since July 23rd, 2016. Oh man, I tried to <laughs> do it my way for a while. I was going to the meetings five minutes late. I was leaving five minutes early. I didn't want to connect. I didn't trust any of you people. I thought it was all a big cult and I had trust issues, man. So I I would just kind of hang back and I was maybe catching half the message. If I'm lucky, those first, you know, 12 months or so of going to meetings, but I kept showing up and eventually I started to see other people change. Right. Then that was like, whoa, okay. But then I would think it's a fluke. They're going to fall. So I'd watch those people. I'd watch the people that were doing good. Little do I know how this whole thing is designed so clever. You don't have to have a God that you understand. You don't have to Mm -hmm. know what the fuck to do. You just got to be there. You get the hope. Because what had happened was, you know, I'm thinking that it's a fluke. I'm watching the people that are doing the deal. So I'm already not even aware. I think my motivation for watching them is because I think that it's (laughs) a fluke. But you're still watching. (laughs) But really, I'm already, I'm already, but I'm already attracted to. Yeah, yeah. To the, what works, right? To the solution. That attraction rather than promotion deal. So I'm watching and watching and that. They're not falling off. They're getting better, even. You know, they're they're continuing to grow. And it's blowing my damn mind. And I finally become convinced. And that's the hope shot, man. So I needed that gift of desperation, being at the gates of death, you know, all that. Mm -hmm. G-O-D. G-O-D. Didn't know it at the time, but there it is. And uh, that brought me in the rooms. And then the hope, that hope shot's what got me willing to start showing up early start going to fellowship start staying late start being of service start doing the work sponsor up grateful i did that really grateful i did that man and then i was i was working it i was working it pretty hard and i was i was applying myself to the knowledge but my sponsor was at the time wasn't very available his dad was terminally ill 
he did end up ultimately going back out himself and he's been on one doing the meth oh, again no. for like three so years. Let me, let me, pa- let me pause right, right there. Uh, Hang that, on, Jason. Let, guy, let me pause. You know, Cause I want to, unless you, ha- unless you're going back there, I, I'm curious. And cause I'm, I don't know why, but I'm always curious. So wh- how old were you when you first drank or drugged? Okay. I got oh, you. Yeah. I was going to get there. You. I was going to get to the growing up part. I'm like okay. <laughs> squirrel based, but yeah, I was probably. Uh, I'm stealing that. <laughs> I was probably like 11 when I really started. Yeah, when I first started really getting like regularly drunk and high, I was probably about 11. I was selling weed by the time I was 13. By the time I was 15, I was selling like coke, crank. That was back when it was crank. Mm. like the bathtub shit and uh man like what i I think when i was 16 it moved into other more uh exotic shit like acid shrooms ecstasy i was always when i would be selling drugs i was always had the mentality that i was gonna be like a freaking walking pharmacy you know i didn't i wanted to corner every market I wanted to be a one-stop shop. I wanted to be up all the time so I wouldn't miss any business. All right. So I was like raised in the, you know, Twin Cities, Minnesota area. But I lived all over till I was like five. And then my mom got in a motorcycle accident and she almost died, but she got a big settlement and she built us a house in Coon Rapids, Minnesota. And that's where I lived until... She lost that house when I was like 24 or something like that. Yeah, so I just wanted to be, you know, everything for everybody. I liked having the power of knowing that people needed me or wanted to be around me. You know what I mean? Like, I guess I was an outcast and I was an angry kid when I was younger before I started dealing drugs, you know, survivor of sexual abuse and, and, uh, just a mom, single mom who was a hardcore alcoholic and it was a party house a lot of the time. And she had like a hair trigger, you know, with her temper. And that was all because of her traumatic brain injury. You know what I mean? Like the family said that she wasn't the same. Like she was never the same after that. And I don't think she really chilled out till I was in my late thirties. You know, like she started to kind of mellow out. Cause she liked her beer. She liked her beer all the way to the end, but she didn't get super fucked up, you know, at that time. And it's funny too, cause then, like, when my alcoholism got out of hand, when my during my second marriage was when I ended up move. I had to move back to my mom's house at thirty three years old, you know, and then I ended up getting with this stripper and freaking. We went out one night and she wanted to stop by her friend's house and they gave her a bag of meth. And I'm like, my junkie mind's thinking I can smoke that because I was a banger, you know, I shot up. So whatever. And uh, I was doing MDMA and smoking a bubble and doing hot rails that night. And it just, we never stopped. She never left. (laughs) You know, a couple months go by. Now I'm her dealer. And then she decides she wants to try shooting up because of hearing all my stories about when I used to shoot up. 
and now she can't that shit grabbed her. I'd never seen a person deteriorate so fast. Then I'm stuck trying to chill her out. She's screwing me over. She's cheating on me. She's can't even strip no more because they won't let her because she looks like shit. And you know, it was crazy, like how th- how the tables turned so fast. You know, I started dealing for a guy that I worked with in a restaurant who was, you know, Hispanic dude, and he he was connected with cartel and stuff. So I'm just flipping ounces and ounces of meth, fucking, and doing my own stuff, and it was bad. It was bad. That last run was real bad. I mean, I had periods in my life where things got bad, but that last run was really bad. Well, yeah, man, when I when I knew I needed to change, <laughs> I mean, that's that right there is an impossible question to answer because I can't think of how many times I had moments of clarity about it, you know, how many times I came to the realization that I needed help. But I think for me, a lot of time when I would have those moments, for many years, it would... Ultimately, my brain would walk me around the park and to the to the conclusion that I was just always going to be this way, that I was always going to be a junkie and that, you know, I needed to accept it. Right. And then I would be fine. Like, I felt like it was my internal conflict was what was fucking me up, not not the substances, but really, you know, that wasn't true because. And I learned that my last psychosis, so I did, I, I like did a whole bunch. I had my son for the weekend. He was like two at the time, my youngest child. And he, he was like sleeping, you know, I just got him to bed that night. And I, I would rarely do this, but if I wanted to really get high, I would shut the phone off, you know, stores, stores closed type shit. And then I'd blast off to the moon. And I did that. And I did way too much. And then I was tripping. And I was just peeping from window to window. And I was just tripping so hard. And it was like it's it was a tailor-made version of hell just for me. And it went on for like 16 hours. And it like started with me in my room with all these weapons around me. And I thought that like and I thought there was like cops you know like swat like on the on the suspension ropes on the roof like gonna come flying down and kick you know just fly through my window and and then uh so i had like a mini crossbow and a pistol and a and like a big brambo knife and a bunch of like other stuff you know melee weapons and long-range weapons and everything around me and then and then it turned into like i thought it was like co-workers (laughs) that were mad at me and i could hear them outside and then you know it just kept changing then it was like people from the program that i thought were out there that you know all the things you assume people think about you because you think that they're not gonna like you if they know who you really are you think that they're gonna like whatever which was nothing further from the truth because when it all came to a head and i was done and I had to be real honest and authentic for the first time and I was finally able to do that 
man, people love me so hard. People so warmed me. I got so many numbers. I got so much love from people in the rooms that, and you know, they would like invite me to fellowship and I'd be like, you know, kicking rocks and looking down and I'd be like, I ain't got no money. And they'd be like, nah, man, get in the car, dude. I got you. They pay for my dinner. They pay for my drinks they, every day, pretty much, you know, like when I was at that period of time, you know, it was like, I couldn't work. I, I couldn't hold a job, you know, I thought I was really convinced that I was like, I had done irreparable damage to my brain. You know what I mean? Like I couldn't ever be a like responsible, productive member of society. Again. And boy, was I wrong. You know, I didn't, I didn't just get all my faculties back. I didn't just get my son back. But yeah, those are natural byproducts of it. But I also got to reconnect with my first two kids' mother for when, you know, my high school sweetheart. And I got two kids that are now 24 and 22 that I haven't seen since they were one and three. And I got, I, did, I have never still to this day talked to my daughter, Audrey. Um, so I haven't seen her or talked to her since she was one. But my son, her, her older brother, my oldest, Tristan, it was... You know, in 2018, I was like almost three years clean or something. I was able to, you know, because I had been talking to his, their mom here and there, just letting her know what was going on with my recovery, with my life. I felt from early on just this overwhelming, like, um, something like telling me I had to share it with people that I had to. You know, like that amends process kind of really came very naturally for me. And even the ones that didn't feel natural, you know, we're all going to have the, you know, not nows, not evers type things on them list. And that's why it's a lifelong process, you guys. So right. don't, be, don't lose hope, right. don't lose hope, right? Um, you know, God will mm -hmm. put you in situations to make those amends down the road. So I ended up randomly one day just getting an email from her and she's like i think it's time you uh connected with tristan that's my oldest son and i'm like okay yeah absolutely and i was like all excited but i was super fucking nervous and she set it up she gave him my email address and he hit me up and i got to take him out to breakfast one day and then he wanted to see my place and then we're hanging out at my place, and he's loving on my little baby beard, Greg, and I had it was like not wow. even bigger than the palm of my hand at the time. It was just a baby. And he's like, you know, telling me about some stuff with his friends, and it occurs to me, I'm like, oh, wow, hold up a second. And I, I had a big frame on the wall that had pictures of them when they were babies in the front, and then I had my amends letter and an envelope in that frame, and I had it up there on the wall for like almost two years. And my sponsor, that was a grueling process, bro. Five, wow. five drafts later, yeah. he kept shooting down all my drafts because I couldn't get away from like explaining in my, myself, my side, you know, the justification, the minimization, the rationalization, or even just the plain and simple, you know, you can't get them to, you can't change their experience you know, by making them understand, like, so, so it's literally pointless. Right. Right. Well, you can't, yeah, you, you can't make them understand you, someone who's never had those feelings or been 
at the gate of hell with Satan with his hand around your throat like that. You can't explain that. That's like me trying to to make you understand what it's like to be pregnant. It's like you'll never right. understand that. You just don't have the capacity. You know, people that are normal people simply don't have the capacity to understand. I know that they try to with sympathy or what have you, but that empathy factor has to be, a, a you know, a, a, I've been through it too, which is why the sponsorship sponsor, the sponsee thing works so beautifully. But, but yeah, they just don't have the capacity to, but that's beautiful that you, that it, you put it was that very with that picture. I me, love you know? that I idea. I look at it every day. I would think about them. Yeah. You know, sometimes I'd cry. Sometimes I'd feel really motivated, you know, like I knew that something was changing in me. I knew that this thing was working. I knew that this process was working. I knew, you know, after a while, I think, cause I, like I said, I had trust issues and the hardest trust I ever had to earn back was the trust with myself. <laughs> that, took, that took a long, long time. Amen. So, I yeah. get it. Trust even with other people, yeah, like, I get it. It took a long time for me to really know, like, really know in my heart of hearts that, you know, some of these connections I've made, these people literally have zero ulterior motive. They just want what's best for me, you know? And they ain't scared mm -hmm. to speak the truth right. in love into my life. And I need that, right? So, yeah, anyway, though, now, kind of filled in that gap for you a little bit, but that psychosis that I was going through, and it taught me what I was going to say was, like, because I was kind of touching on that whole piece of, like, uh, personal accountability or honesty, you know, and, like, how I thought that if I stuffed them or if I walked away or any of that kind of stuff that it would, like, fix my problems, but... It just, they never went anywhere. They only got stronger. But when I was at the, in that psychosis and I, I was trying to, oh yeah. So I was peeping out the windows. I was tripping out. My son was sleeping and I would, I don't know, but I was like all night like that. And I can remember in the morning time he had came up and he was like super quiet and I didn't hear him. So he scared the shit out of me as I'm peeping out the windows through the blinds, you know, but the blinds are closed, of course, because I don't want nobody to see me. <laughs> and I'm I'm doing this, and mm -hmm. I turn around, and he scared me. And, dude, he... This sticks with me. This is, like, the most powerful image in my mind still this day is, like, him, little pure innocence, heavy diaper, you know, sleepy-eyed still. And... It, perfect like oscar winning performance mm -hmm. of a because he was just mimicking me of a, of a person in the midst of a psychosis looking out the way that they tweak out the windows like that like he was acting it out perfect and i felt like mm -hmm. the lowest piece of scum on the planet dude i felt like lowest possible human life for him so Anyway, I, like, had to power through whatever that. I think I just, like, I changed his diaper. I got him some snacks downstairs, you know, got him on a movie or something. Then I went upstairs, and I was, like, going to take a shower, hoping it would snap me out of it, and it didn't. And then I ended up with a knife, like, this big Rambo knife 
that I have. And I, I was like on the floor and I was gonna drip, like I was just gonna fall, let myself fall on it. And really, I don't know why this is just occurring to me now, but like I never really thought about the aspect of like, like my mom was at work. It wasn't, so it was just me upstairs and him downstairs. Like, and how fucked up is that, dude? Like, I was about to just do that with him downstairs, and he could just walk upstairs and find me like that. Uh, it's messed up, but um, I couldn't do it. And I was like screaming, you know, like I was making noises like a dying animal or something. It was crazy, but I was trying to say like, help me, help me. And what I meant was, was like, help me kill myself, help me do this, because I couldn't do it. But I got a different kind of help, man. I ended up putting the knife down, realizing probably that realization that I just now realized with you guys that, you know, like, what are you doing? What are you even thinking? That's fucked up. You're going to ruin this kid's life. <laughs> you know? And you're going to hurt so many people. And for what? You know? Easy way out. Bullshit. I always thought that's a pussy's way, right? Well, I got to I got to tell you. I you said you said so many things and I know that you said you listened to my story. Dying animal is the exact words I used yeah. describing oh, the day that I was going to take my life. Dying and I've had two I've had two other people on the show that hadn't were, were new to me. They had they didn't know my story. They define or described themselves in that state as sounding like a dying animal. It, mm -hmm. it scares the shit out of you the way you sound. But I got to tell you, I, I, I understand that realization, and I, I love that you that you had that feeling just now. But 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 the fact is, is I, I remember when I was planning the suicide as well. It's like I I, I didn't have the capacity to think of what I would do to other right. people. I thought I was doing them a favor, putting me putting me right. out of their misery. You know, um, I did choose I did choose um, pills instead of a knife because I didn't want anybody to find me blood bloody and be traumatized by that. So I had that forethought. But I thought I was doing everybody a favor. So I I I get it. I I totally get it. But even yeah, find one of my kids finding me you know dead on the floor is dead on the floor and all right. decorated is still trauma. Super messed so, up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's super it's messed strange. up. I was like. That was one of the things, mm -hmm. Christine, like that day when I reached out to you and you had told me about your episode, I was like, all right, you know, I'm going to check it out. And I was driving in my car, listening to your story. And there was like a few parts of your story that were like that, that I was just like, holy shit. Like, this is my, she's telling my story. You know what I mean? And that's awesome because mm -hmm. I thought for sure, I thought for sure, like, this is it. Like, I thought it was the end of the road that day. And anyway, so I put down the knife and I called that dude, my original first sponsor. And he would, like, I, that dude pissed me off. He always pissed me off because he would never answer his phone. Well, lo and behold, this morning he answers it. It was like seven in the morning, and my kids downstairs. My mom's gonna be home any minute from work, and I'm like supposed to be at work in an hour at my job. 
Yeah. Oh, wow. And this dude answers the phone. So I'm telling him about this whole thing. And his exact words was like, all right, do me a favor real quick. Put the phone down, grab a notebook and a pen and get back out get back with me. I'm like, all right. So I do that. And then he's like, all right, you got your paper and pen? I'm like, yep. He's like, all right, write this down. I went, okay, go. And he's like, first thing, he's like, you need to call your boss. Tell him you're not coming into work today. You can't go to work like this. He's like, but not only that, you have to tell him what's been going on and what you've been up to and the state you're in. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, dude, you have to do it because your secrets got you all fucked up and twisted. He's like, you need to do it. I was like, all right, cool, man, whatever. I will do whatever you say. He's like, cool. And I, so I wrote that down. And then he's like, and then you need to set up therapy. You've been talking about it for like a year and a half. You still haven't done it. Like, make the damn call. Make an appointment. Okay, done. And then he's like, all right, now here's the next thing. He's like, I want you to call me every day. So I wrote that down. And he's like, now make a little like sub, like sub list for this one. I'm like, okay. He's like, I want you to do a few things. He's like, number one, tell me three things you're grateful for every day. Okay, got it. Tell me one thing you're doing for your recovery every day. Got it. He's like, and then I want you to pray every day, but that one's ma mainly on you. He's like, I can't monitor it. But he's like, it doesn't even have to be a prayer. You can just say, hey, I'm, uh, I'm here if you're out there, you know, just something to acknowledge that there's a possibility that there's something bigger than you. And he's like, that's all you got to do. I'm like, okay. Right. And then he's like, and uh, if I don't answer Wait for the answering machine and leave these things in a message. He's like, but I expect this report every day. I'm like, all right. That dude didn't answer his phone again for three weeks. I called him every day. Sometimes I had to leave three voicemails to tell him out just to give him those little, that little list of things. Cause I had so much to say about it. I was hitting like 10 meetings a week. I was going at this thing harder than ever ever in my life. I never gave it a chance before that. But I was that desperate, man. And uh, boy, I, I had to come clean. I had to come clean. But yeah, anyway, like the whole point of that was like that instantly once I called my boss and I set up the therapy appointment, I was freaking walking on air. I the, the psychosis was gone. It was completely gone, and I cleaned the house. I freaking, like, I did so much around the house, and I felt fantastic. I felt better than I've ever felt doing that drug since I was a kid. And uh, wow. it wasn't even, like, it made me, like, think, oh, see, I'm okay. Oh, sorry. You know, like, you would think that I would have been like, oh, hell yeah, this was an enjoyable experience now, so I'm going to do more. No, I... I couldn't wait until I felt naturally tired and I was ready to go to bed. You know what I mean? But I had a super productive day that day and all that. And then I ended up, you know, telling my ex-wife way too much. He he even said, he's like, bro, you kind of overshared on that. But so that made the next, you know, and maybe that's, that was the way it was supposed to be for me. But 
it ended up making the next like year and a half very difficult process as far as with my co-parenting with my youngest son you know and then i i was facing because i had this was all god i just really freaking just jump all over the place didn't i this was all this was all yep. after i had gotten busted with a whole lot of drugs and i was no longer selling drugs like really i just was trying to like get my money off the street i was still talking to those people and doing like maybe like small amounts type stuff for a couple of select friends that i really trusted but i was really like not doing that anymore because i was scared of the second bust i didn't want to go back right i didn't want to end up going for the full haul to prison but i couldn't even believe they let me out of jail in the first place but yeah it was this was just me at the very tail end of like a straight downward spiral i almost wouldn't even call it a downward spiral it was more like one of those like blackout water slides that just goes like straight freaking down right straight 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 Dude, to it was hell crazy like <laughs> yep. i just yep i called straight in all the hell. money off the streets you know i started selling all the toys that i got on trades from all the dealing and you know i just got to the point where i like used up all my own resources i only had like a tv left and uh and uh old playstation that could like access youtube and shit i was like i wasn't willing to sell those things because i didn't have a job and i couldn't do anything else it was like the only like source of entertainment i had and i was scared to leave the house because the cops were living in a van in my cul-de-sac <laughs> so man i was like whatever i i just got honest though and as much as that caused me more problems or you know maybe it it felt that way, but it really, I don't think it caused more problems. These were just the consequences that were at my doorstep and they were of my own making and they were there the, the whole time. You know, the only thing keeping me from feeling them was my lies and deceit, but that was also the same stuff that was tearing me apart from the inside out. So mm -hmm. I just found the value of that honesty and accountability. So I went balls out with it and took it to the next level. So I just kept the journey and I ended up finding God. I ended up becoming a recovery coach. I ended up becoming a Stephen minister. I ended up getting to baptize my mom. I've, I don't know how many guys I've gone through. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. What a blessing. Yeah. And then I got to baptize a couple sponsees after that. And I, I led the baptism team at that church for like three and a half years. So I got every time they did baptisms, man, it was like, cheering them on, bringing the energy, you know, bringing that hype energy and getting them all pumped and getting the wet hugs. It was like the favorite, my favorite thing, you know? That's great. So it was just crazy how life took this total turn, you know, and and it's just continued to be on an upward trajectory. I mean, my, my network continues to grow. My skills continue to grow because I continue to go and learn things when I can, you know, I continue to do mm -hmm. trainings and, and read and, and just educate myself. Cause I, I don't know. And I definitely haven't arrived. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, that's one of the things that I love about, um, you know, podcasting. And then you're what drew me to your ad was really the title just purpose-driven you know sobriety it made me instantly think about 
Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life, which was a life changing Bible study for me. As so many as well, really any Bible study has been life changing for me, if I'm being honest, because they're all that's God's word, man. It's living and active. It's going to move in your heart and your life. And it's going to change you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's a, it, it's an exceptional book though, for sure. And, and, uh, so it made me think of that. And that just made me think about that, you know, like one of the biggest tenets of, of lasting sustainable recovery is that concept of like finding a purpose and, right. and finding, you know, where you fit what are your spiritual gifts, right? Like everybody's got a different one. That's why you mentioned like making coffee or, or like, you know, the people that, you know, cook and serve the food at, at all these different recovery events, like that's hospitality is their spiritual gift, you know, like that's right. their spiritual mm-hmm. gift, man. And then, mm-hmm. and then like some of us have the gift of gab, you know, conversation that spark a personality, whatever you want to call it, where we can create free and open spaces for people to share and they feel like they can trust you right away, you know, um, it's, it's whatever it is for you. And we all have it. We all have it. And we just got to find it and put it to use, you know? Well, I gotta, I gotta tell you, it's funny that you mentioned that. Do you know what the first line uh, in is in purpose-driven life? Do you know what the absolute first line is? No, it's not about, it's not about you. Oh, okay. Good. Yeah. And I know, and I know that because, um, in, and it's a big, long story and I would love to share it with you at some point in time, but this past October, Rick Warren baptized me. What? Yeah. Oh my gosh. If if I, if I told you the story of how that happened, um, it would make you cry. It, 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 it was, there's video on my Facebook page where I'm, I'm walking into this thing and I'm just sobbing. And he's like, come on, Christine, I love you. Never met the man in my lifetime. I've studied him for 11 years, you know, but, but, but yeah, if, if, if get the book, it'll change your life. And, and I don't, I don't read very well. I know how to read. I just don't read very well. ADD thing. And so they also have, um, they also have online, you can follow. Um, so anyway, get the book. It has the information where you can, where you can listen online. But, but for me, the, the name of the show, you know, there is a difference between sobriety and recovery, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I don't want to be in sobriety. I want to be in recovery. But I believe that when you have purpose-driven sobriety, sobriety being the absence of drink or drug, right? When, when, you ha- when, you're, when you have purpose in your sobriety, that is recovery. Yes. That's how recovery is manifested because it's not about you. It's the person who unlocks the door. Oh, I just got chills again. I just let, you know, when you get chills, that's God uh, allowing you to have a glimpse into heaven. That's my, Mm -hmm. um, but, but, you know, from, from the person unlocking the building where the meetings, you know, about to take place to the person who's chairing to the, like I said, the person who's carrying the, it's not about you. It's what you're giving to someone else that feeds the you. It's weird how it works, but just so happens that's how and why we were created. That's when, when, when you're living your purpose for other people, your life by far 100%, no matter what gets better, period, period. It's the absence of self, right? 
the app, when I can take myself out of any situation, things get better. Things get better, you know. But my disease and darkness will tell me that I can make things better. That if I make it the Christine Cohen show, it'll be better, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why when I first started this venture, you know, my husband, God bless him, he can tell me the truth in a gentle way. But but I, I did have a concern that I would make this show about me. And he said, how about you don't pay for it? And I said, well, I don't think the studio would appreciate that. And so that's when I went to social media and said, if you know, if you or someone you love has suffered from the disease of his addiction and you have any faith in my ability to have a conversation that I know what I'm talking about, I qualify, I qualify to sit in this chair and talk about addiction and sobriety and recovery, right. you know, then, then I need y'all to pay for the show. And within two weeks, I had 33 shows paid for. It's crazy. You, you tell me that's not God, right? Yeah. And so, so yeah, it's just when, when you're able to take yourself out of the situation and just be willing to carry the message of hope to another human being, beautiful things happen. Well, Christine, I'm going to tell you right now, you know, it's one of the biggest things I've learned is that God doesn't call the qualified. God qualifies the called. Amen. I was called to this. I didn't create the show. I didn't ask to do this. I simply responded to a post, you know, in my usual supportive way. And I got a private message that said, would you like to help me take this show to the next level? So I came on as a co-host with the Way Out podcast at episode 97, I think. Um, if you listen to episode 31, that was me about five and a half months sober. It's every traumatic thing that ever happened to me in my life. And then like five minutes of recovery, like solution-based talk. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have any experience with you the solutions. You were a baby. You were a baby. Yes. 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 And uh, I came on at 97. We're at 370 episodes, I think, mm. now. That's amazing. Or 360, 369 or something like that. Um, you know, and then, like, a year ago, well, okay, two years ago, I went to my first Mobilized Recovery Conference, which is, like, a nation nationwide, and now it's moving into global spaces. Oh, wow. Uh, but it's an initiative to... You know, it's a recovery advocacy movement, and it's cool because they they have these conferences and they have all these workshops that try to equip people to share their story better, to mobilize their communities and engage with people better, to be able to better serve the self-suffering addict, you know, with coaching skills and things. And, and then it goes beyond that into harm reduction spaces and, and family recovery spaces and all sorts of, you know, LGBTQIA and all the different spaces and they honor and respect all pathways of recovery there. And it's a really awesome, like, you know, and then the legislative side and all every aspect you can think of for recovery advocacy, sure. they try to teach you and equip you how to do it. If that's what you want to learn about there. And they have a breakout sessions too. So if you're more about this stuff, you know, broadcasting, you could probably go and have your whole experience at the conference be based around, you know, community and networking and just getting to know each other and lifting each other up and sharing stories. 
But if you wanted to learn how to be, a, you know, in the capitals and legislative side of things and doing all that, writing grants, you know, blah, 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 new bills to pass and everything else, you could make your whole experience probably be about that. Mm -hmm. If you wanted it all to be about how to make more inclusive places for minorities and people of different sexual identities, I mean, it doesn't matter. Right. They just try to, they're so, wow, it's just huge. But yeah, anyway, so I went to my first one, and then I met a bunch of great people. Well, like a year after that, I got uh, added to this group text thing with some of the people I met from there and things. And and they, it was right after I did the Recovery Revolution, I got interviewed on there, Recovery Revolution Live. And then they wanted me to come on as a co-host. So now I co-host that show as well for like the last year. That's amazing. And that's more of a video platform one, but it's... Yeah. The greatest thing about it is to meet so many different people. And I love the open-minded nature of my recovery and so many others that I've been able to connect with where we, like, it doesn't stop at AA or NA. It doesn't stop at meth or alcohol. It doesn't stop anywhere. We are like always learning and we want to welcome in voices from every spec you know side of the spectrum we've had lawyers we've had doctors we've had mental health professionals we've had people you know from within the field from the victim side the families of loss you know every possible angle because this shit doesn't just affect it us people who are at discriminate in any way shape or form right so and, and if we, the more we can all, like, create a safe space for each other and listen and learn, you know, then just the that much powerful, more powerful mm -hmm. we become. You know, when we can all band right. together, and that's one of the things I really dig about that uh, mobilized initiative is that they're trying, you know, it's just the more voices, man, you know, we can't change this deeply ingrained and embedded system that we have in our country or in the world for that matter, or break the stigma. You always hear people talking about break the stigma. We can't break the stigma without more right. voices. Well, and, that, and that's it. Because that's yeah, without, without shame. They can't ignore right. it anymore. No shame. I mean, I'm telling you what, and, and, and Rick, my husband, has, has come to, and he shared that with me yesterday and it almost made me cry. He, he said, that's one of the things I love about you even more is you're willing to just let your guts hang out, you know, and whoever sees them, whoever oh, yeah. sees them, sees them. They're your guts. And, and you, you have worked hard to, to, you know, get to the place where you're at and you're, you're just not afraid. And it's like, when you can take the shame out of your story, you know, um, and that comes with a, it's a process, right? The, in my humble opinion, it's the steps. Um, but, but when you take the shame Man, people see that and they recognize it and they believe you when you're talking, right? They listen, you know, and I, I know here's the deal. And I said this to someone a couple of days ago who, who's, who's one of us and, and, and is very uh, recovers out loud. And I said, I'm going to be willing to bet that you'll be in a, a restaurant or, or uh, you know, a, a whatever situation, getting your oil changed. And someone is randomly just talking to you. And all of a sudden they start talking to you and they're like, I have no idea why I'm telling you this. Just, 
It happens all the time. Yeah. Not with just us people, not with one of not with addicts and alcoholics and stuff, but just normal people. Who knows if they're normal behind the scenes? But but it's like a, a, an honest soul recognizes right. an honest soul and will will let their guts hang out a little bit. And it's just beautiful. That's how, that's how God created us to be. That's when we're really fulfilling our purpose. Yeah. And you know when you're not hanging on to anything in secret, you you don't have the shackles and the and the weight weighing you down, and it's it just feels good to get fucked naked, honest, Amen. you know. Amen. It just does. It's light. And I'll tell you what, though, you know, you mentioned, you know, the steps, right? Like me and my personal path, that's what got mm-hmm. me clean. That's what led me to God. That is my foundation and that is my path, mm-hmm. my pathway, right? But what I love is that no matter what pathway you look at, it's all the same spiritual, you know, absolutes, you know, throughout the same fibers, the same work is in every pathway. So I do chuckle to myself when I'm like, dude, get a sponsor, work the steps. And guys are like, he's not for me. It's like bullshit. You just disqualify yourself. So you're fucked already. You know, you're fucked out of the gate. You know, we got to start. What do they say? We got to look for the similarities, not the differences. Every single one of us has that terminal uniqueness. It tells us mm-hmm. that we don't belong here, and if we, it's only a matter of are we able to shut the fuck up and listen, and open ourselves mm-hmm. up to the process. Like take a chance. What did Joe and Charlie used to say on their tapes? Right. Run the experiment. Mm-hmm. Look at it like that. You know, if you well, want to act like did. a little scientist or whatever. It sounds like. I mean, your your experiments your experiment was watching yeah. other people and, and seeing how they were recovering and stuff. Totally. It's like, okay, I'm waiting for you to fall, waiting for you to fall, you know. And when you saw they weren't falling, it's yep. like, oh shit, maybe, maybe. And I bet you didn't even think that consciously for a long time. But that was what was drawing you to honest people. Right. And honesty, honesty is just yep. such a um, it's it's like so rare right now. It, it, you know, it, it's, it, that's what draws people to us. And I'm, and I'm just, I'm just speaking the truth. Well, of course I'm just speaking the truth, but, but that's what draws up people to us. It's like, <laughs> they're so used to people bullshitting them and the gaslighting. I fucking hate that word, but it's true. You know, and, and, and people just blowing smoke up their ass and, and, and they're, that they see someone actually being honest and authentic. And it's just like a new toy. It's like, what is that? You know, and it's just, it's beautiful when you can, when you can make those type of soul connections, whether they follow a path or not, that one connection, you never forget, you know, as, as a, as a human being, when you meet someone that's, that's that way, your soul recognizes it. It's just how I feel about it, but it's crazy. It's crazy. You're awesome. I think you're awesome. By the way, I, I always love our chats. And I'm like, dude, that first time I talked to you on the phone for a little bit, I was like, because my buddy was in the truck and he's like <laughs> laughing. He's like, you don't even know that lady. And you were saying that stuff. I was but like, but you yeah. know everything you need to, 
Yeah, oh you God, know everything you need back. to know about me. But but you know what? It, because we know that the minute that you try to be someone that you're not, I'm going to recognize your bullshit. Right? When when we when we when we try to that's why you know I it was funny I don't know if it, probably not but last weekend I went ape shit crazy and I sold pretty much every single shirt that I had in my closet because I wear a recovery shirt every single day every single day of my life may dress it up with some painted pants or some skirt or something like that but I'm in a recovery shirt dude every single day and it's it's just like you know when when you try to be that is my purpose and so when I try to be someone I'm not you're going to call me on or you're going to see it when I'm putting on a mask it's just going to be so obvious there you have it yep he just showed me for those of listen just listening he just showed me a recovery hat he's got a recovery sweatshirt on I get it we live it man we found our purpose and I got to tell you I told Rick I told Rick that I think it was my I think it was my fourth show that I recorded and um, I came down to the studio and I was driving home and I called him and I was so teary. And he said, what happened? And I said, I want you to know right now, just because you are the closest person in my life, that if I died right this second, I found my purpose. What a gift. What a gift, you know, to have found your purpose. It's just amazing. Oh, that no, I was talking about when I I had recorded a show. It was my fourth show or so, and when I was on my way home. Husband. And I called, yeah, I called I called Rick, and and I was all teary eyed, and I said, I want you to know that if I die right this second, I have found my purpose. And he just kind of sat there on the phone, and he said, That's yeah. amazing. It's amazing, you know, because I don't know a whole, whole, whole lot of people that could right. say that exact same thing. Oh, absolutely. You know, so, so the, and I say that because the gratitude is palpable that I feel, you know, when I'm able to talk about recovery and share that. Well, you know, it's just amazing. And I know there's been times when I feel kind of where I've, I've started to feel kind of some type of way about just like I wish I was doing more in the recovery spaces because or that I could make a career that, but that just doesn't pay as good as what I do. And I never had a job that makes as much as I do now. And I had a lot of debt, you know, a big part of recovery. You start off, right? You got to fix the relationship with yourself. Right. Then you got to fix your relationship with others, mm -hmm. but then you got to fix your relationship with things like money. Right. So this is a big right. deal for me, like to, you know, have a well-rounded and balanced recovery so yeah i don't work in the field but it's like and i know all these amazing people are doing all these amazing things and stuff and it's like i want to be a part of that in a bigger way but but jason but jason you're one of them dude don't discount well, like what you're sometimes doing sometimes i can have this yeah. feeling sometimes, sometimes. Yeah, that's lies that's yeah. lies yep that's a lie. I, I realize don't believe it. it that's a lie dude i've had every single one of those people on the show, on both shows, most of them. And, you know, I do everything I can to, like, amplify their shit and, and share it out and help promote it. And, yeah, so I'm definitely, like, I'm doing, my, you know, my part, where I fit, right? We were talking about that Amen. earlier. I was mm -hmm. telling you guys spiritual gifts, right? And, like, what can you do? Well, you know, what you can do has to, a lot to do with what's a good balance for your recovery, right? Because... 
we can go balls in all the way to this recovery stuff and then have a jaded family at home that misses us and uh you know have a boss that's mad because you're always half asleep at work because you don't have any energy because you were up too late doing this recovery stuff you gotta you gotta tend to all the parts of the garden and right yeah there's gotta that's be balance. a big deal there's gotta be balance and i really mm -hmm. sucked at it the yeah. first couple I, of years i really sucked at it <laughs> you know so i think we all do yeah I like i said i just have that feeling on occasion and then I got to take myself for the little walk around the park and then remi remember that I'm right where I'm supposed to be. I'm doing what God has yeah. qualified me to do, called me to do. He put me in that position. I didn't look for it, you know, and that's crazy. It's like if you just keep showing up, you'll be amazed, you guys, what you can accomplish. And you just got to let people in, take a chance on others, run the experiment, do the work. Don't mm -hmm. think that meetings and fellowship is going to get you clean forever. It won't. If you don't do that right. work, boy, you ain't going to be able to sustain shit. And then you got to, mm -hmm. and then you got more work to do, see, because you do it once and that ain't done. That's just, all that did was clear up the big shit. So now all of a sudden you're going to have big, bright, shiny spotlights pointing at every other area of your life where you're like, oh, damn, that stuff didn't even register on the right. radar before because you had too much other shit in the way. <laughs> but you got plenty more, baby. Come on. You got to keep working at it. Don't quit. Yep. So more, more, more will, will be revealed. And we've got to practice these principles in all of Amen. our affairs. I mean, that's where the, you know, the balance comes in. So tell people where they can find you. Anywhere. You can find me, dude, I make myself, and this is a big part of it, is because of my oldest two kids I was telling you about. We've been estranged. And, uh, you know, early on after I had completed my first run through the steps, even long before I gave my oldest that uh, letter I told you guys about, I was, I had to wrap my brain around that notion that, you know what, I'm only responsible for the effort, not the outcome. But that being yeah, said, I mean, but that being too. said, right, not to ever, I can't ever let myself underestimate the power of planting a seed. Just that one small meeting, just handing him that one little letter that was only a page and a half, and it was very brief because it had to be because I couldn't explain myself. <laughs> uh, you know, that that's a powerful thing, and it could come to fruition one day. So what do I want to do? Do I want to accept that and have faith in the process and be focused on my recovery every day, one day at a time, and sustain this thing so that if and when they do reach out, they find this guy? Or what do I want them to find when they reach out if they ever do? Oh, yeah. Wow, that's huge. That's huge. That is huge. So like, cause you know what that when that initial meeting happened, right? I'd get his email address and I was like, fuck yeah. And then I'd start and I still do though. I still send him every once in a while a nice email, like a long one, and it'll be updates on life and some maybe some new pictures. And that's it. I I used to get bummed out for days obsessively checking my email, waiting for a response that never came. He doesn't respond very often to me. Now I just send it and I'm done with it, you know, but every once in a while, 
my email will say, you know, his email thing, you know, send me a message and I'll be like excited and shit, you know, but it's not, you know, my motives have over time changed to that type of mentality where it's like, I'm only responsible for the effort, not the outcome. I'm sending him an update because I want him to know, not because I want accolades or recognition or an attaboy or, a, right. you know, I want to get together fucking whatever. Just because I want him to know. So I send it. Mm-hmm. It's done deal. It's done. And I really hope that one day I do get blessed with the opportunity to be a part of my oldest kids' lives. But that's just a little rabbit trail. Thank you for uh, listening to it. That's but yeah, okay. my podcast, The Way Out Podcast, any platform, you can Google it. Probably the easiest way. Or we're at www.wayoutcast.com. And then there, you know, it's got all the little clickable links for if you do iTunes or if you do Amazon Music or if you do whatever, we're on all of it. Um, Same thing goes for Recovery Revolution Live. It is, like I said, it was originally, it was a live stream Facebook and YouTube TV uh, event. Uh, We use StreamYard so people could write in comments you know, real time, and we could yeah. talk about them. Uh, we even created a Google Voice line for a while so that people could call in, which, surprisingly, I thought we would get more activity on that than we did. But, you know, sometimes we get some cool calls. Though. Uh, other times, we just never got any calls. Um, but then we re-release it, you know, after the live recording in a podcast format, non-video. So... You can find that now as well on all your platforms. Um, big shout out to Charles Lavore. He's the creator of the Way Out podcast. Believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. Invited me to be a part of this thing when I was like, me? You know, what the fuck? Nobody wants to hear what I got. I got nothing to tell somebody. And then uh, Brett Morris, the producer for Recovery Revolution Live, J.R. Weaver. He's a... You know, that's his brainchild. He's the creator of recoveryrevolution.org. And uh, Ashley Grimes, she's the president of Florida NAMI. She's another co-host for the show. And then Reverend L.C. Lona Curry. He's a, you know, transgender mentor. He's got his own podcast, too. But And we actually all have our own podcasts except for Ashley. But then we all came that's together. That's amazing. We all that's came amazing. together. As it should be. Yeah. As it should be. Damn it. Shit. And 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 I heard you say wayoutcast.com. What an amazing way out and then outcast. That is beautiful. I love the name of that website. That is so brilliant. That is so brilliant. I love that you just said that because that probably will like make it stick in people's heads. Yes, you it's know, the way out for it's the way out for an outcast, or at least you feel like an outcast. I'm, you know, you know he actually wanna... named the show the Way Out Podcast because I guess the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, the original working title, was going to be the Way Out. Oh, really? I didn't know that. But it was under copyright law or something, so they had to yeah. change the name, and they were kicking it around for a little bit, and then I guess. Uh, Bill said, you know what, to hell with it. I'm just calling it Alcoholics Anonymous, 
you know, or the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's amazing. Because it's, so, it's a text. What it's is, a what textbook, is, right? Right. And what what is one of our, our just our our slang terms that's in ev- pretty much on the wall in every room? Keep it simple. Yeah. Right. Keep it big yep. book. It's a big book. So listen. He's trying we're coming- to think of a clever name. He's like, look where that got me. They fucking shut <laughs> exactly. it down, and now I'm stuck without a title. Exactly. Let's just keep it. I'm simple just gonna call it this long, boring textbooky sounding <laughs> name, but it should sound like a textbook in my opinion because it is a school of higher learning. You're learning how to live from people who have changed their lives. Right. You know, I might have came into these rooms at 36 years old, but these people in these rooms taught me how to be a man, dude. Right. Yeah. I am. Now I got the goosebumps because I'm like, it's such a loaded statement. It's been such a long road and so much hard work and so many amazing relationships built and uh bonds created man and christine i'm grateful to say that we have that bond now we do and so you're hard. part of my recovery and i'm gonna be lifting your shit i want to be sharing your shit We're family. pretty soon here when i get my shirt in the mail oh, i think yay. it might have came to the house yesterday or it's in transit or something but which that shit fast as hell by the way oh good oh good i hope you, like, yeah I'm like, I got the one that says not today, Satan. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's my favorite. But yeah, I'll be rocking (laughs) your shit out there in the streets, repping purpose-driven sobriety. You as well. You as well. You as well. Well, well, yeah, we're we're family whether you like it or not. Amen. Amen. I, I want you to have a blessed day, and thank you so much for joining me. I'm so grateful to you for taking the time out of your day off with me. Absolutely. All right. We'll this talk. is the best part of my day. Amen. 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 We'll talk <laughs> soon. All right. All right. See you guys. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining the Purpose Driven Sobriety Podcast. Keep coming back. Thanks for listening to Purpose Driven Sobriety. Keep coming back. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.